Manuel Crantin, Daryl Kwao, Francisca Encho. Yeah, congratulations, guys. Now, for bar alert for today, just play back my pronunciation of Anas Aremeyao Anas on the news today. Yeah, that's bar alert today. Charlie, don't be easy. <laughs> Enjoy the new week. My name is Maxwell. I'm when I say bye bye. Let's all celebrate and have a good time. Hello and welcome to Springboard, your virtual university. My name is Albert Okran, welcoming you on behalf of the team Springboard, led by Comfort. This is your most inspirational show and the platform where the greatest minds in the world converge. Springboard is brought to you by the Springboard Ratio Foundation and proudly sponsored by NTN Pulse, just be the enterprise group, enterprise your advantage, UMB Bank, celebrating 50 years in banking and Central University, Ghana's premier private Christian university. Our media partners are the Multimedia Group and the Graphic Business. So today we get into the engine room with somebody I've known for 1979, <laughs> a friend, a brother, and somebody I deeply appreciate and respect. Many of you know him as the immediate past CEO of Multi-Choice Ghana, but he's the president of GIBA, the Ghana Independent Broadcasters Association, and even more importantly, the CEO of TNC Farms. We'll find out life as a farmer, one of my favorite vocations, and, and, and the transition between careers and the learnings on the road. So, Sunkwa Mills, welcome to Springboard. Thank you, Albert. In preparing for this, I, I, I tried to capture your various experiences on Springboard. And my favorite one, guess what, was was in Bulga. Bulga yeah, yeah. When we went to Bulga on the road show, you spoke at the Fountain Gate Chapel several years ago. Do you remember that experience? I do. I do. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how you meet people several years after and they tell you how the little you shared impacted yeah. their lives. I think I... Let's speak of something. Did I touch on farming? I, 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 I had to look for the team because Ma- yeah. Matthew would dig it up. He, he yeah. does well with that yeah. and find out what he spoke about. But have you always wanted to be a farmer? Um, you know, I think it might have started when uh, I was a child because my father um, was uh, an agriculturist. Actually, he was he was a director for animal husbandry. Now they call it animal production department for the Ministry of Agriculture. And he founded a lot of um, base things for animal production in the in Ghana then. And uh, so when I was young, you know, he took me most of the time to these projects. Um, some uh, the Amahia Dairy Farm, uh, the number of sheep stations, some in Pong Tamale, uh, some in the uh, King Tampo, and uh, stuff in Pigris and stuff like that. So. I, I, I like animals anyway for starters, and but this actually gave me um, a bit more of an understanding of uh, what it meant, you know. And the base was uh, they were trying to have the core production for Ghana, including things like pomazi, uh, hatchery, so that Ghana could have a base where for animal meat production uh, we had our own sources that we could carry up the country in terms of meat production. So this was my introduction that brought me in. And then he also went into farming, which I took over. Yeah. I never heard this part of, of the story. So what you're saying is that the, the socialization started with your dad. Yes, it did. What he did, working at the, at the ministry, yeah. and then what he subsequently did going into farming. Yeah. So you, you watched 
you admired it, you took interest interest in animals, and you told yourself one day you yeah. will you will go into it. Yeah, you know, even though I was young, he actually took a lot of time to explain why they were doing this and what the outlook was. The lines you used to breed bulls and why you have challenges that come across and why you don't eat your bull that is you're using to um, cross other um, cows so you increase milk production on me. He actually explained those to me at a very early age. So it didn't make, uh, and I found it interesting. Did you develop the interest in the poultry bit or just animal husbandry as a whole? Um, we had, we had um, quite, we didn't have cattle at home. We had sheep at home, we had uh, poultry at home very early. And it was my, well, when I say it was my job, I mean, when I was at home, nobody had to ask me about taking care of them. I did, so I understood some of the things uh, hands-on. And then uh, later on, he went into actual farming, so, yeah. Tell me how this shaped your outlook on life. You know, so you have things that you're passionate about, that you like, and then you have uh, things that, um, by education and expectation, that you have gone to school, that they also would want you to be. But usually, so you end up um, following the educational path. Um, besides all that, my father had wanted me to be a doctor, uh, to read medicine. And so they had been drumming that gently uh, across. So I, well, I, I, I was comfortable with science. Um, I was comfortable, I would say, with maths. So um, I carried on through that, through um, secondary school in Fansman, where I think I met you. Mm -hmm. no, 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 you think. That's what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> and we took a lot. That's another program. Yes. And uh, so I, I, I did that. I read science and you know, I did biology and everything. After writing my A-levels, I did not make the grades for med school. So my father was, he said, oh, I'll, I'll try and better my grades. And interestingly, yes, I wrote the papers again and I got the same marks. So I went on to do zoology in the... That. But my father was so hopeful that, you know, I could still branch off into medicine. But at that time, I guess the faith was not too strong because I actually did not, I really did not look forward to doing medicine. I was a more of an outdoor person. And uh, the other thing I found was that along the way that I was uh, quite commercial. And uh, the commercial part of it also started uh, as part of uh, the outcome of farming. You know, when my parents started, uh, they started doing poultry, and we used to sell eggs. And I was, um, I was very much involved in the sale of products. Uh, my mother sold a couple of other things, you know, from our garage where we lived. It was a government place. There was cooking oil, there was frozen fish and all that. And I used to, you know, that. But when I went to university, I got a lot more commercial. Uh, the objective then was, I, I had wanted to be able to make money uh, so that I became independent very early. That was the objective. Why? Um, why? Because, you know, um, so I take back to family. Um, I, we have four um, siblings, right? And there are three girls, and then I was the boy at the end. They call it only boy. And I somehow detested it when we come to say, oh, you're the only boy. Ah, means like life is set for you. You know that. And I, I just, I did not enjoy that. You know, it's like, oh, you, you can be weak. You, you can just be there and uh, you're sorted, you know. And when you got into trouble, somebody says, oh, he's doing that because he's the only boy. He's fault. And it used to really get to me. So I said, how do I solve this? And something in my head said, well, when you're dependent, you don't have to depend on where your parents, because everybody thinks your parents are going to leave whatever they have for you. So if you have your own, then people realize that, ah, okay, he stood on his own, so he's not spoiled and all that. So that was the objective that, you know, 
I will be able to stand on my own wow. and not necessarily depend on what my parents have. So what did you sell on campus or what did you, where did you make money from? <laughs> uh, campus was a number of things. I remember I, I was an agent for Fanice. I mm-hmm. used to sell ice cream and most of the time, I, but I had a boy. So when I went out for lectures, we had an ice chest. I used the JCR uh, common room, cold room. So I went to Fanice, got the products, keep it there, and he sold it in a, a nice chest. At that time, um, the Fanice bicycles were not, they'd gone out of Vogue, you know, and, and so they were not really available in Nagon. So in Nagon Hall, um, lunchtime, he's there with that, and then we start. And then we also found out that a lot of people needed to rent uh, equipment, audio uh, equipment, like uh, amplifiers, speakers. Um, at that time, we used what um, cassette mm-hmm. players and yeah, that. So um, we d- we between me and my roommates, we invested in those kind of equipment, and uh, we used to rent it. We also used to show videos at those those times, and there was no DSTV, there was no Netflix and all that stuff. So I'm just trying to build a thread between the young or the little boy whose father introduces him to a Greek, then the commercial interest formed by helping your mother sell cooking oil and other things from your home, and then the fierce business ethic formed out of a desire to be independent, and then an interest in in broadcasting, entertainment, etc., formed out of renting, have you ever sat down to, to build a thread through all your experiences? Yeah. You, they all came together so, as you grew up. Um, I know that um, besides the interest that was developed from, from you know, uh, the farming side and all that and commercial, one of the passions that I had actually was music. I, I, I listened to a lot of music and that. In fact, at a point, I even thought I would be a DJ. Really? Life happens because I, I thought I was doing good. You know, I knew music um, through, you know, younger days and um, through secondary school. I was an ardent follower of uh, um, current pop music, etc. I even joined the, the band when I went into Form 1 and uh, my father stopped me. And, you know, the interesting thing was that he actually introduced me to piano which even deepened my understanding of music. But then when I got to school, he says, you're there to learn, you're not there to play music. So I couldn't become a band boy. Uh, that, that, that's, that's, that's a shame. <laughs> well, um, there's still time. Um, I will get permission probably from uh, my wife and I could be a band boy again. You see? If it's not too late. No, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so, would, you, would you think that there are turning points in your life that you see this... You look back at it and you say, of all the moments in my life, this was one, somebody you met, something you did, something you didn't do, something that you encountered, something you had that really shaped your life, or you call it a turning point. Yeah, a um, number of things. Um, my father passed um, quite shortly after he came on retirement. And um, he had plans to expand the farm. He had gotten a job, FAO. And then suddenly he fell ill. So apparently he had a progressive disease and um, we didn't know about it. So um, shortly he didn't even make 62. And, and he passed, yes. I was, uh, I think I was 26 when he passed. And I was the only, at that time, I was uh, the only child here with my mother. I bet I had to grow up overnight. You know, I, I remember I'd come out from university. I was still um, doing a few commercial things. I was teaching. Uh, I was a teaching assistant here and there. I was making a bit of money teaching in homes, etc. All that. And uh, suddenly everything was dependent on uh, so what do you think about this? And so I, I couldn't mix any funny or silly decisions anymore. I had to grow up. I had to make sure that what I said and um, 
you know, what I suggested made, made sense. So it made me grow up very quickly, so I had to take up a lot of um, responsibilities quite early that for both the home and that. Uh, I think not too long after that also, I decided to settle. Uh, that increased the responsibility? Yeah, because um, I, I, I was dating, and we've been dating for a bit, and I, I thought the back and forth, and even I looked at my, you know, my future plans, etc. One of the calculations was that I also needed to settle in terms of family and stuff. And I think that came from my father. He had a conversation with me, and he says, uh, "Men don't have too much of a time clock." I don't know why he had that conversation. He says, "As a man." You try and have your first child by 28, 30. So then by the time you're retiring, if things do not go well, because nothing is set in life, somebody says security can be an illusion. You're not secure. At least um, the children. Your children would have crossed a certain line. Was he a big influence on you? Yes, he was. I can see from your eyes. <laughs> Was. My mother was also um, a big influence, uh, more in the area of discipline. And uh, my, my mother was known, uh, they, they called her um, teacher among all the, her brothers and the family and all that. But she was a head teacher. She was an educationist, actually. That's something she we have in common. School. Sorry? That's something we have in common. Yeah. And um, she, she was, um, though she was super loving, I mean, she kept things as they were and was quite blunt about what is truth and what is right. So putting this all together, mm. so you met Janet and got married. How long have you been married? Um, there I go again doing a calculation. I think 26 years. Uh, she does a calculation better. Yeah. She's giving me the number. It's like different from yours. <laughs> <laughs> I, made, I made the confession. Before you mentioned the number. Yes. You know, that it's one thing that I accept um, that when it comes to counting the years, the women are super. We always have to start doing landmarks, and we sometimes we don't hit it right. But they remember everything in detail. So that, but I met her. We, we, we went out for quite a while before we got married. About ten years. Janice is a very, 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 very popular here at Springboard. Mm. She's she's family here at Springboard, and. We're just excited about what we do together. And for for the two of you working in different spheres, you come across as being almost opposites. <laughs> and when those generators outgoing that person out there and, and they tend to see you as reserved and quiet, even though I would not think so. Well <laughs> <laughs> would that be the that, would that, would that be the balance? Yeah, that is that is right. That right. is right. Yeah. People right. usually when and usually it's based on perception. Yeah, I, I look reserved. Of course, I'm reserved. Um, see me as a gentleman, yes. But you wonder how, um, in some of the things I have done in career, when the results turn out and people I work with, and they will tell you the real person that I am. Definitely, I'm not a brush person, but I know how to reach deep into people with the profile. I'm easily approachable, which is... Uh, based on your intent, I'm easily approachable uh, because if you find out, uh, you find out how um, I am. Yeah. Let's move on to your time as as CEO of Multi Choice. How many years did you do in Multi Choice? So Multi Choice, um, the last stretch was 15 years, but before then uh, I had done almost another five years. So it was a total of almost 20 years. So I. I joined multi-choice from um, the Ghana Red Cross. Ah, I remember the Red Cross days. Yes. Right. Um, it, was, it was another um, pivot in my life where I also grew up a lot in terms of... Uh, that's where I learned how to use uh, computers quite well. Um, I learned a lot about this country, um, you know, and um, quite a learned how to administer loans and stuff. So it was quite a good learning point. But then I was also doing commercial because I was raising money for them. And I went to Multi-Choice. Um, I got them to sponsor a program 
and in the third was it the third sponsorship, they actually poached me as a sales and marketing manager. So that's how I entered multi choice. I didn't last too long in that position. I stayed there for two months and then I transitioned to become the operations and customer service manager after two months. And um, so I stayed in that position for almost four years. And then I got an offer from uh, SGSSB. Oh, great. Then I stayed in SGSSB. I did a bit of, um, I entered SGSSB and I set up the service quality department based on my background from uh, multi-choice in terms of service and uh, operations, customer service and operations. So we set up a service quality. Basically, we were supposed to fix the service there. I think we had fixed it in almost a year and a half. We rewrote all the procedures for them, and then we introduced uh, a new system of delivering service. You must have been there with, with um, George and Mapozu, um, yeah. Yeah, George Anda. George Anda, yes. Yeah. George Anda was in cards. So we worked together before he left for Guinness. Um, George Ampuma was in cards. Um, there were quite a number of people. Cards in Kasanga. Cards in cards. Okay. At that time it was Sika card. And then they had, yeah, started, yeah, yeah, yeah. they had started working on um, transitioning to Visa. Okay. But eventually um, that was put um, un- under my desk. So um, I launched the Visa card program for uh, SGSSB across the country. Then we have 36 branches, yeah. Right. So you, you return to... And then, uh, yes, um, Multi-Choice came back after year five. At that time, I think I was... I'd been head of um, retail banking, and then I was head of product and uh, in new product and uh, marketing and stuff and cards. And then they came back, and they, they had a position for uh, business development in West Africa. So there was a gentleman I'd worked with before, Matthew Higgins, so he came and uh, he gave me an offer. So I went back. So I worked in a couple of countries. Yeah, um, I guess the transition then was banking. Banking, the money was good at the time, um, but it was hectic. Okay, um, there was there was one thing that I, I mean, much as I worked, I tried to also look at um, the impact of stress. Because on, on, on your health, um, I think that is is coming from the back foot of my father, where you know he had worked all he has had all this career, and then at the end of um, coming out of it, you find out that you've had a disease, a stress-related disease that you know takes you away, and so that. So I had that in mind because I had also a bit of that. So I said, well, let me have something that is less stressful, gives you good money. Why not? And it gave me the opportunity to also work in a couple of countries in Western Central Africa. And then uh, then I also learned how to speak a bit of French because there were some Francophone countries. Most of the French is gone now. And she's still there? Uh, my wife took it away from me. She does it. She does it all day. <laughs> yeah. So you came back um, to multi-choice, went to a number of African countries. Yes, and so then I did five years and then there was an opening in Ghana. Uh, for um, the M managing director, and they, so they asked me to, uh, but they asked me to actually come and act. And then they um, regularized the position, and I stayed in that position for ten years. How was it? <laughs> it was interesting, very interesting. Tell um, me about so much happened. So much happened during your tenure. Yeah. And I'm interested in the dynamic of it because I'm going to contrast that with working as CEO of a farm. So, yeah. so help me to appreciate the kinds of demands it made on you. Maybe let, let me take a break. When I come back, when I come back from the break, I'll be, like, I'll be, I'll be trying to find out now that you were CEO, how different was that from all the other roles that you played, mm-hmm. the innovations that happened during your t- tenure as CEO, and then contrast that with farming, which is really where my interest is today. <laughs> so let me give you a break to catch your breath. When we come back, let's break it down a bit further. This is Springboard, your virtual university. My guest, Cecil Sunkamels, he runs TNC Farms. He hasn't taken me there yet, but I hope mm-hmm. to visit the place before the year ends to see his Christmas chickens. 
And I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to unpack the story of his life in the engine room and find out the foundations, the learnings, the philosophy of life, the corporate journey, and the transition into farming. When I come back from the break, let's break it down the more. Please don't go away. Hello. Dear valued customer. Hmm. ASMO. The entire customer service team is out for lunch. Please call back in four hours. What? Me nana be dia kona mama me bad service ano. Me kokra. Ah nana. With bus from Enterprise D, you will love the customer service experience keke. I am available for you 24-7 on the Enterprise Advantage app, the Enterprise website, and on WhatsApp number 055-400-1924. Hello? Babs. Chat with Babs from Enterprise, your contact for insurance, pensions, funeral, and property solutions from the Enterprise Group. Dream big with us. Enterprise, your advantage. <laughs> When you can be anything, who will you become? When you can go anywhere and never feel alone, how far will you go? When you have the means to make your dreams real, when will you start? When your voice can reach every ear, who will you inspire? When your money can travel faster and further than you ever could, where will you send it? When you can tell a story in every language, which ones will you tell? When nothing can stop you, and everyone's behind you, and, and the, the whole, whole world, world awaits, awaits you. you. Don't go alone. Go with us. Everywhere, Everywhere you, you go. go. Aquaba, UMB is proud to offer you the best business solutions possible. We have been excelling in serving Ghana since 1972, and our sole interest is to make your business succeed. We are committed to making you to become number one in any sphere of business or enterprise you are pursuing. With our experience in growing some of the biggest SMEs in Ghana, we can support you become the business leader in Okaishi, Xiaomi, Abusokai, or any of the SME enclaves in Ghana with our SME solutions. Our latest SME loans allows you to take a loan backed by the value of your cash flow and inventory so you can increase your trade efficiently. Speak to our business bankers or visit any of our branches now. UMB Bank you first. Welcome back to Springboard Adventure University and into the engine room with my friend and brother Cecil Sunkwa Mills helping us to appreciate the journey of his life brought to you by the Springboard Ratio Foundation and proudly sponsored by MTN Pulse, the enterprise group UMB Bank and Central University with media support from the multimedia group and the graphic business. If you just joined us, Cecil has been trying to track the framework of his life, if I may use that word, my own choice of words, and how that has been formed by different experiences, even from his childhood, that left imprints that seem to now be all coming together. We'll find out as we go along how all these came together. But we got to the point where you were CEO or managing director of multi-choice. Help us to appreciate the kind of demand it plays on you and how much fun it was rolling out one intervention after another and seeing people consume these interventions across the nation and beyond. Basically, you're supposed to, as CEO, I'm supposed to use content and uh, make sure that we have the best preferred content uh, to make uh, to generate revenue for the company, to make the kind of country, the, the, the company profitable through the sale of content. That's a simple outlook of it. But what it meant is that you're going to look at um, subscriber growth, you're going to look at how you develop your people and you've got to make sure that the platforms work. It's convenient for people to access your products so your sales, marketing and operations and your customer experience should be excellent. So it's a, a whole combination. But besides the commercial side of it, you also have the regulatory side to manage. You've got to make sure that your business is compliant in all areas, be it tax, um, uh, communication, regulations, etc. 
and it should be appealing also to people and you must also have a foot in the place where you you do a CSR you know so you've got to tap all these uh, while you do the commerce you do the regulatory and the CSR you've got to bring it all together to give an image of the company and ensure that it grows in all these areas so um, there were interesting times um, we've seen been through Doomso at a time when we had actually um, uh, Supersport had acquired the, the local league you know, and then we end up with uh, the power situation where you know it impacts your growth and all that so there, there have been quite um, difficult experiences like that but above all I mean from where we took the company uh, in when I joined and in 10 years you know the numbers were marvelous. I mean, they were good. Um, we one of the things about content was that there was a trend we saw changing on the preference of content. Everybody um, would say, "Oh, um, DSTV, soccer, top of mind." For me, that's an easy sell. But remember that soccer—it's only some hours on weekends. And then, uh, and this is Champions League, etc. You get a few interspersed. What else do people watch? Those lots of people who don't follow soccer. What else are they watching? So you're looking at movies. You're looking at how people appreciate if you have repeat, etc. But with time, what we realized was that there's actually an appeal for local content which was growing. Uh, in fact, it's always been there, but we had to look at it when it came to movies. If you take um, when Black Stars play, that's local content because it is linked to our culture and we feel a sense of belonging. Okay, you get a lot more eyeballs and you find things to do with Ghana, that people. That. So we picked it up. That was when Africa Magic also broke out and they started putting a lot of Nigerian content on and we, it drew a lot of eyeballs. So one of my missions was how to put Ghana on that map, okay? Um, by creating an opportunity for Ghanaian content meant we could actually increase subscriber viewership. We could also, in the back, create opportunities for uh, the creative industry at the same time. So it brings jobs and they keep producing a lot of content, etc. Um, we also did some stuff in Bokman. So we put all this together, and uh, the company grew. We grew from a small office in um, Ridge, uh, is it? No, um, on the Nima Highway, uh, mm -hmm. Salom Down. Yeah, that's when from there we, but that's when we moved. I was then uh, in operations. We moved to airport, moved to Sailing Airport, and then we built our magnificent office. In uh, Abilimpe, so that that the office was built in your tenure as as managing director. Would yes. that be would that be one of your most iconic achievements? Um, it is one, but I think for me the most iconic one was the introduction of Aquaba Magic, which is a Ghanaian content channel. I think now there are two of those channels. Um, it has provided a platform for the best of Ghanaian content. Um, we've had the best of people in the creative industry all um, having something to do with that platform and it's created for after a long time okay it's created a continuous flow of content for DSTV to show to its subscribers and also it's created continuous permanent jobs for so many people in the creative industry it's interesting that your transition, your next transition, puts you in the position where you're responsible not just for one TV network, <laughs> but overseeing, overseeing the Ghana Independent Broadcasting Association. Yeah. That is an amalgamation of these TV networks and by extension creating jobs for people in the creative industry. Do you feel a sense of responsibility for that, for the industry? Uh, it, it's it's a huge responsibility. It's a huge responsibility. It is not a noisy position. Uh, Giba basically is um, 
we do advocacy. We have over 350 members, radio and TV stations in Ghana, and these are private radio and TV stations. It was formed out of the need to have um, a consolidated uh, point of communication for private broadcasting in Ghana. Because we had the public, it was GBC. And then with the private stations after um, the evolution of Radio I, etc., and the private stations, it was important to consolidate. Because the media being the fourth estate can tend to become a target based on what situation and who is in power. So there was a need to have this um, um, united front to advocate and communicate things that would protect uh, the the rights given by the constitution to the media, in a way. So that's how Giba was formed. So um, it is a mouthpiece, a very powerful mouthpiece for the stations. We make sure that um, they are protected and the broadcast and media landscape survives and are also compliant. Is it compulsory for all media houses to be on? No, or are is, there ones that voluntarily decide not to sign up? Yeah, it is. It is like any other association where you can choose to be part of it or not be part of it. Uh, fortunately enough, not just locally, and, but internationally, we also recognize as a very strong stakeholder. And uh, we have quite some uh, recognizable and uh, important uh, landmark legal wins for the media industry in this country. Just before we go to our Greek, why should any media house listening um, sign up to Giba? Well, the, the, for most of them, it is because, one, we, we focus, one, on capacity building, but two, we take a lot of time to understand, especially, uh, the legal implications of broadcasting. So when um, people enter the industry, they may run into issues, be it um, regulatory, etc. And we are able to explain, and uh, also we put some proactive countermeasures to guide people. For example, you must make sure they pay taxation if they're having challenges. We help them to do that. Licensing issues when they are defaults, the processes to go through, etc. That's the job that we do. So um, it's besides benefiting on capacity building, uh, when there are also some financial opportunities that come our way, we do share them with these stations. But also we advocate and to determine the, the path of policy decisions which have to do with the industry. So, for example, we're looking at a, a draft broadcasting bill for the industry. We have quite a significant input in there. As we right. yeah. Let's go to my favorite of, of it all, the agricultural bit. So, based on your exposure in your in your youth, to your, or your childhood to a Greek, you must have retained in your mind the feeling that one day I'll go into it. What triggered this this final move to TSC Farms? Um, I, I, it's just been uh, lying and waiting. And I'll say that in um, when I was with Red Cross, um, we actually ran um, a loan scheme for um, specific women. We call them Red um women's clubs and most of their products uh, their, their projects were agricultural projects be it in palm and all kinds of stuff cassava it's also electric but that took me to uh, that gave me a different um, in-depth education in terms of um, the other key things around agriculture which makes it sustainable because we're giving the women loans and they had to use the loan for specific things which would be able to uh, be able to pay back, be able to also uh, let them achieve their goals that they don't even, in most of the cases, they didn't even need refinancing. After one shot, they were comfortable. So it also gave me the project management aspect of agriculture. So um, yeah, it had been there, and I think um, I had done 10 years. Uh, in my mindset, I, I had a target that I, I did not, I'm, I was not looking at retiring on the job, you know. And uh, they'll tell you one thing. Sometimes you also need to listen. Um, 
as you get older, you don't have to wait to get to retirement and then you start stuff. You should start that when you're able to get around. You still have um, people in your network in active places. And that's when you get your own thing propped up, you know, and that. So I thought after 10 years, it was adequate. You know, I mean, I'm sure I had given my best to multi-choice. A lot of landmarks had been left, you know, and that. So I could move on in somebody else. And, but at that time, one of the things I had was in mind was to, to do the, a few other family projects, like my mother's school, etc., which also needed my attention. You know, but I thought it was time to take a break, slow down a bit, and then refocus on this. So you 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 now consult for for multi choice. I do sharing the experience gained after years of go come yeah and, and, and move across country yeah, and exactly. and then run all these innovations exactly. Let's take with our Greek. So what 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 has fascinated you the most as an agri business entrepreneur? What has caught your attention the most? Yeah, um, you know when when I came back in. It, it is agric is profitable. Um, it's not easy, but it is profitable. It is um, a lot more scientific. So coming back into it, and I'm still learning each day. I'm reading and reading and reading and finding out the best way to uh, keep my costs low and maintain a margin. And but at the end of it, your retail price should also be market accessible. Okay. The other thing is your product should be quality. And so um, I've done the year plus now. I've learned quite a lot. And the plan was to scale, to move, to scale up further. Um, the scaling has slowed down in the last few months because, for, I mean, for me, I want to see a bit of stabilization in prices. I still, I still, we're still running business, but the scaling would mean that you need to inject because of the forex rates, the number of inputs that are still import dependent. So what it means is that you probably have to reinvest a lot more money. For somebody who doesn't know TSC farms, what, what aspect of agriculture do you... Oh, we do poultry. Poultry, okay. Poultry, yes. So, and you're saying that the, the inputs are import dependent. Yesterday, I was listening to somebody talk about yeah. the various inputs in the industry and how the dollar um, shiftings. I, I wanted to use another word now. Use the shiftings yeah. um, directly impacted that that sector. Educate us a bit on that. Yeah. So, I mean, it starts it starts with um, uh, the the day old um, chicks. Uh, if you look at the number of active hatcheries in this country, I mean, uh, the one that would usually come to mind is Daco Farms. And um, we, they, they're not producing enough. Sometimes we have, uh, and then the timings of some of it. Uh, we've, we also try some from outside. We get the old checks come, coming from Holland and Belgium a lot. You know, uh, the companies that actually bring them in and then the, that. And if you look at it, um, the output of these beds, the mortality rates, etc., you know, is, is, is quite good. So most farmers tend to rely on um, these imported DO chicks. Um, that brings into mind. Remember I mentioned Pumazi? Yeah. yeah. And um, would say it is not a problem of the farmers, but to have a hatchery, that's when we need to make sure that we have policies that can support hatcheries. Because for hatcheries, you need to have parent stock. Chickens that are grown, you keep them they, they, for, for two, three years, they lay eggs, that you take the eggs and you hatch and you sell to farmers to produce layers of that. So that's parent stock. So those are the things that the projects I spoke about, like Pomazi, etc., they need to have and sustain, and they need to do that. So it's, but that's not a cheap thing to do. You've got to keep. You've got to make sure that feeding and things happen. 
But now you look at it for for DO chicks, we have a huge gap there. So we're depending is, is, on is the, DO is, chicks is that it, are coming. The demand outstripping the supply for DO chicks. Depending right now is because of the price, but yes, definitely locally we don't we don't get enough. So um, we do we need we need layers, we need broilers, we need even turkeys. We even bring in guinea fowls from Belgium. You're serious? Yes. Bringing guinea fowls from Belgium. and turkeys too. Yes. I was listening to recently to a dialogue on the way forward for Ghana, especially as the conversation gears towards going to IMF for for support. And I recall one of the speakers categorically saying, listen, this is all about food security. I mean, when all is said and done, if we can get our food right, it's something that we believe here at Springboard a hundred percent. And but I like the way that, that speaker particularly said it, one of our our friends here at Springboard, Atuafu, he simply said, Listen, food security is a lever. Simple. Get it right, we are on point. Do you share that view? 120%. Oh, so you are above the 100 that we are at. Yeah. And actually, it's one of the reasons why you go into food. I mean, there are different stages of making food available production, distribution, processing, further processing, and uh, the guys at the very end where you, do, you get your takeaways. Okay. So I've seen, I bet I've seen beautiful policy documents. Okay. It's all been written nicely. But when you, for it to be actualized, one of the things uh, we talk about frozen chicken, what makes frozen chicken uh, um, beat local chicken? There's, the word is there, frozen. We've not seen any real policy support. We hear about fisheries, that they build an efficient harbor and they build cold rooms and that. There's some parts of what we call, um, they'll say free market, etc. But when you want your economy or you want a particular industry to get to a point, you, don't, you may not necessarily just leave it completely to a free market. You must keep close to it and make sure that it is guided. That's why government will find people and they want to build fishing harbors, etc. In the same way, you can produce chicken the chicken will be ready for table in six weeks. Within six weeks, it will not have consumed too much food. But how do you stop that chicken from continuing to, con- to consume your money? Remember when they eat feed, it's your money. So in, when you look at places like Brazil and um, the Americas and all that, that they package the chicken and... They, and even with that, they have grades. And of course, they take their A grades and B grades and they send. But it's fine. But when they stop the chicken from eating, what do they do? They dress it, they, they process it, and then what do they do? They package and freeze it. So you build a stock of chicken. It's like what buffer stock is doing. They, they're storing grain. We're not storing meat. We leave the, the farmer has to run around with live chicken at his farm looking for market or putting a cage by the roadside till somebody buys. But each day the, the chicken eats. So how is it going to be profitable? So it is written, yes, it's in policy documents, etc. But we need to build that facility, for example, if it comes to chicken. This is just one example that we bring, we breed the chicken, we buy them at a certain age, and we freeze and pack them. The portioning can always come. It's the same thing. When it ties, there's that freeze package in quantities and keep them there. The, one of the things that I went around, I have my small, small freezing facility, and uh, there's a lot more investment to be done. One of the things is that even with the freezing, the type of packaging that is used looks like I've been searching and it looks like the best price I need to go to China. The few people who had, have it here, what it means, they, they, they're taking a lot of money for it. But there's a type of packaging which is good for meat, for food, pack, food packaging, food freezing. And at the same time, it's, it's like a shrimp pack 
and it allows the food to stay frozen and still be fresh for 12 to 18 months. Let me end this by asking about the people that are most passionate about the those in the bracket of 15 to 35, young people stepping out on their career journey. So I'll tell you what, several years ago, it was not hip to be an entrepreneur. It was not even hip to come out of school and see I'm going into business. It sounded almost like, did you not get a job? I mean, so, but through mindset change and showcasing what is possible Today, somebody can come out of any of our universities and proudly put their hand on their chest and say, I'm going into my own business, and we celebrate them here every day. What would it take to create an even bigger call? We have quite a number of them, young people in agribusiness doing fantastic stuff, but what would it take to create a country in which every young person's first career choice is to be in agribusiness. How will it take? They need to be able to, first of all, make a return. So the conditions should make it possible that when they have produce, they're able to hold the produce and sell it. To hold. Holding means to store properly and then to sell it, to convert it to money where they make a margin. And they should be able to store it at the right time. So that's not the same as for plant. Post-harvest, what happens after you grow? You can have get land. You can have a small place. You can do chicken. But when they're ready, the market. So whilst we know the global situation, um, if you even have a product, not even, um, even going out of Ghana, but if, for example... Um, Papaya, which is importing frozen chicken now, because the local demand is a, cha- is, is, a, is a challenge. Okay, but if papaya says, "I need ten containers of chicken a month," okay, if people grow them, can they package them properly? in the quantities, even if it's a co-op, if somebody, a number of youth come together, put it together, package it properly, um, they have cold, some cold storage, etc., and then moving on to, to reach the supplier. This structure, for me, I think it's very key. Um, I like the idea of buffer stock, which was created by government. But I kept saying in conversations and in the last radio program that I had that I don't think that where we stopped us, the buffer stop, is enough. Um, now where we've reached, I think, I think there's a bit of um, firefighting. We've seen government has said they're going to try and transport goods from the hinterlands, okay, to that. I'm not, I, I, I don't think it's... Uh, it's a bad suggestion, but you see, in terms of when you that's that part is called distribution. So you bring it. Where are you selling it? Where are your retail outlets? This is uh, common sales and marketing, and unfortunately, because we're firefighting, it's a bit of that. But you see, we have had these structures before, but we've gone back cycle. When they launched Operation Feed Yourself, then the government realized that people were producing. A lot of food was coming in. But what were they selling the food? Do we remember Ghana Food Distribution Corporation? Absolutely. So it is part of what Bufferstock is doing is a bit similar, but they had a bit of exam because they had shops. Okay, they had shops. So when the private food producer, say assuming it's rice. When I'm bringing in rice, I want to also look at how much is Ghana Food Distribution selling a 5 kg bag of rice. And that becomes a guide for you. And that becomes a guide for me if I want to compete. So I should be, I have my product should either be better than that one because people have an option of that. 
And um, somebody said, oh, but we have a free market economy. And I said, gentlemen, nowhere in this world, any country runs when it comes to food security. Nobody runs a free market economy. No country does. This is springboard your virtual university. And Sister Sukamos is saying that when it comes to food security, no country runs a free market economy. We've been talking today about the life, the learnings, the journey of Sister Sukamos, who many of you know as the immediate past um, managing director of Multi-Choice Ghana. He's also the president of GIBA, the Ghana Independent Broadcasters Association. And he runs his farm business, TNC Farms, that is into poultry. And so has been helping us to appreciate how the various experiences of his childhood came together to shape his career. And I find it very, the, the thread very, very interesting. He's also been sharing <laughs> with us with, with us, how his time at multi-choice brought together various experiences and learnings, and at every stage, the consideration that was undergirding what he did. He's talking about Giba and what they are responsible for, among other things, providing capacity building and a platform that aggregates all media houses so that they can advocate to ensure that their rights are preserved. But my interest has ultimately been in his farming venture and how that can be a platform for many other young people to also go out there and explore and pursue their agricultural dreams. So a big thank you to you for making time to be with us and to share your thoughts with us. Thank you, Albert, for the opportunity. Let's sign off by a, a, a word to people who are going through their own struggles as they try to navigate what is obviously a very tough time for, for many. What will be your closing thought for them in a minute? Um, you, usually in tough times, um, what I say is that I do not necessarily focus on the negatives. Um, usually the negatives are a lot louder than the positives, and it makes you not see the options. Uh, what did they say? Um, oh, here are my dream. When there's, when there's a challenge, that is when you innovate. So um, there's always another option. And even if there's no option, I said, look and listen to people who give you hope. Okay. Um, when you have the negatives, it even drowns your creativity down. So whilst, yes, we will talk about um, how things are going bad, inflation is going bad. Um, you still look at in the current conditions what are the outs and you would find some outs temporary outs for now that's what we look out for so you think that if people focus less on the negative and then look for points of inspiration it would inspire their creativity yeah thank you so much sir let's do this again thank you thank you for the opportunity this has been springboard your virtual university in the engine room with cecil sumquamils i trust the lessons have been beneficial to you and to sign off remember in times of adversity don't focus on the negatives find some inspiration from somewhere and it will inspire your creativity so we come your way again next week my name is albert okran thanking you on behalf of Springboard Roadshow Foundation, MTN Pulse, the Enterprise Group, UMB Bank, Central University, and our media partners, the Multimedia Group, and the Graphic Business. So we sign up by saying God bless you, God bless you, and God bless you. Yeah.